Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to the Stone X Grains and Oil Seed Podcast. My name's Craig Turner. Um, I focus in the grain and oil seed markets, and I'm based out of the Chicago office here at Stone X. If you have any questions for me, you can always give us a call at 312-706-7610. My email is craig.turner at stonex.com. And if you're a client, you should have my cell phone number. You can always call or text there too. If you like the podcast, please give us a review on uh, on iTunes. And if you go into the show notes, you can check out my newsletter and my Twitter handle. All right, so let's get into it here. We're going to uh, start off with the macro markets as usual and then get shift into the grains and oil seeds. Uh, macro markets is very interesting. So we are having all-time highs in the S&P. The Dow, I think, traded all-time highs also yesterday. NASDAQ is getting there, and we'll talk about all that and what it means for the moment, but well, in a moment. But what's very interesting is, you know, I've been saying for you know, I've been saying like I like I like the stock market just because it seems like to me, you know, interest rates aren't going to be going up anymore. They're either steady or we're talking about when they're going to be cut, right? So that is so, and also, in, while inflation isn't at that 2% target that the Fed wants, inflation and maybe can be stubbornly high, like at 3% or 3.5% for you know, PPI. You know, it's not 4, 5, 6%. Also, too, with the Fed funds at around 5% and inflation running, even if it's between 3 and 4, we still have real positive interest rates and not negative interest rates. So when you put that all together, that's not necessarily bearish for the economy or for, um, or you know, or for equities overall. Um, so I've just been saying for a while here, whether it be the newsletter or the podcast, you know, we should. You know, the economy doesn't, the stock market doesn't always necessarily reflect the economy because something like the S and P 500 is, you know, not just U.S. based companies, but they're really multinational companies in a whole wide range of categories and segments um, in the business community between whatever, uh, commodities, staples, retail, wholesale, technology, energy, I mean, you name it, it's healthcare, it's all in there. And you got the best management teams, right? And they're trying to run a profitable business in bad times and good times. Now, so that's why we liked it earlier. Why it's interesting now, and if you are, if you have an account here with us, you do have access to the, the S&P and major stock index futures. Um, this thing with NVIDIA and AI is interesting. So NVIDIA had a blowout quarter, and they are probably the best pure play on AI technology and you know, possibly with, you know, what the possibilities can be going forward. And we really saw the stock market jump up there. And I think you know, where this one, two things happens, like the fund managers, 
Like everyone now needs a piece of NVIDIA, right, to, to have it, and they show that they have it. And then they're going to start looking for other plays that are like that, that they can shift money into. Now, is it become you know, a bubble, right? Does it, you know, like uh, we saw at .com or what, you know, we've seen in the past? It could be, but it's still early stages. And if, with, if AI really is the next big catalyst, right? You know, we had the dot-com catalyst, which even though some stocks were a bubble, some stocks ended up dominating, right? Like Amazon. And, you know, so it's so out of the, you know, we saw when crypto and blockchain and, you know, the Bitcoin, like when all that came on, like, you know, a lot of them fell by the wayside, but you know, Bitcoin is here to stay, right? And there's other things like that, too. So here we have this kind of AI revolution going on. And, you know, who's going to benefit from it and how is that going to improve efficiencies and wealth, right? And, you know, creating GDP. And that's what's going on in the stock market right now. So I think that's interesting. Um, in the long term, that should be good for commodities, right? Because if it does start or help kickstart a new business cycle um, and the Fed sees that and then they feel confident to be dropping rates in the second half of 2024 and we're only a week away from being in March, right? You know, that could be, that could be significant. So that is basically the macro story of the week. How is the market going to view AI? Can they get a handle on how much potential growth, economic growth, wealth and GDP, can it really add to the economy and the world? Um, and you know, how much, uh, you know, how much money flows into it here? So that's that. Um, and I still like buying the dips for now. I mean, I know you can make the case we're overbought a little bit in the S&P, but um, and that's true. But if you're long, I would still hold on to it. And if uh, if you're looking to get in, um, you know, we can buy some dips. And if you want to talk about some you know, some support levels, we can do that. Remember, there's a micro E-mini S&P and a mini E-mini S&P on the on the uh, on the futures exchange, that mini S and P is probably the most liquid contract in all of the futures markets. Um, not 100% sure on it, but I'm pretty sure on that because the euro dollar is probably pretty liquid too. But um, let's get into the grain and oil seed markets. The Ag Forum was last week. They came out and said 91 million acres and a 181 yield, or maybe it was 91 and a half. Um, the Soybean number was 87 million and a half. Wheat was around 47. The trend line yields were right where people were expecting. It was like 52 for for the soybeans, and the wheat was let's say 48, around 48. So 40, 49. So it is what it is. I think even though we've been talking for a while. You still got to see it on paper, and since the you know, since since the uh, the ag forum came out, the markets have been selling off. Here's the thing: 91 million acres of corn, 181 yield. You got a 2.6 billion carryout, and we see corn here testing four. And this is on top of an old crop ending stocks of 2.1 billion. What's interesting, I think, is before 2020, I mean, if we had if we had 2.1 billion carryout 
and there was no threats in South America, and we're projecting 2.6 for the next year. Yeah, maybe old crop corn is 350 and new crop is under four, like it's a 380, 385 deal. That's what, I mean, that's what I would expect, you know, before COVID and the inflation. And here we are, we're at old crop 410, 405, and new crops at 450. And we've been saying for a while, there's 15% inflation I mean, since the start of COVID, at least. Uh, it doesn't seem to affect the grain markets as much as some other markets, but it still affects it. And here we are. So I don't know how bearish I can get corn if we drop below four bucks, but there's also no reason for it to really rally hard without planting less acres. And some people think we'd be north of 91 million acres. And then the yield being having yield issues. And yeah, we're dry in Iowa and parts of the Delta, but it's not that bad. Um, and do we go back down? I mean, how far, you know, what are the new lows? And we've been talking about that for a while. What are the new lows in corn? But just the fact that we're here on the corn market, we're still over four across the board. And we're talking 2.1 carryouts, 2.6 carryouts, 15% stock to usage, 18% stock to usage tells me that, you know, it's, you know, the the bloodletting is kind of is is slowing down on these things. Now, what do you do? I saw some very interesting charts from Arlen on Twitter. Arlen Suderman, our chief economist, uh, over the past uh, 24, 48 hours. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, which is at corn wheat soy, I reposted some of them, and it's interesting. He had like a soybean price at harvest versus the cost of production. He had a corn uh, price versus cost of production. These charts go back to 2000. And when you take a look at it, years of abundant stocks, by the time you get to harvest, the price per bushel at harvest is below the cost. But if you take a look at the futures between, let's say, April 15th and June 15th, then the price of the price of the futures are over the cost of production. Now, during years of tight stocks, that the, the futures price and cash prices can be well above the cost of production. But when we're talking about periods, low-priced environments, which, by the way, nice little plug here for me. Uh, I'm holding a webinar in April, and it's going to be uh, marketing corn in a low-priced environment. And the reason why we're doing that is just – you know, for the next year or two, we're going to be in a low-priced environment for corn, especially if we're talking 91 million acres and a 181 yield and a 2.6 billion carryout. Remember, that's for projections for what we're going to have this, you know, production for this fall, and then what the carryout will be between the fall of 24 and then well into 25, right into September. So, yeah, there are, we are setting up for this period here of an environment. Um, of low prices, and we need to address that. Marketing strategies need to change. Uh, grain origination strategies need to change. Uh, what you're doing, uh, and and what's nice about StoneX here is we do have all these products and services that can touch on all different environments. So we'll talk more about that. But when I see this, when I see this chart, and I'll you can go go check it out on my Twitter handle. It's up there right now. Um, it suggests that when you think you're going to have abundant stocks, 
you got to be aggressive with new property, right? So the reason why I do those supply and demand tables is I want everyone to see like what can happen. I always have those three scenarios in there. What's a bearish scenario look like? What's a neutral scenario look like? What does it take to be bullish? Because sometimes like for soybeans, it's easier to get bullish on beans than corn. Like just for example, when the ag form came out and said 87 and a half million acres of soybeans and a 52 bushel trend line yield for soybeans, and think stocks barely got over 400 million. And the stock to use ratio was still under 10%, it's 9.7%. That's not that bearish. That's more neutral to moderately bullish considering historical prices, right? It would be 10, 11, 12 soybeans. And here we are in the 11s. So that's justified. And if we think about soybeans in the past before 2012, we were an eight to 12 market. And here we are, you know, in the in the 11s. And you only need to lose a million or two acres on the beans or a bushel or two on the yield to be sub 200 ending stocks again and be at 4% stock to usage. If we go from 87.5 to 86, and if the yield, instead of it being 52, it's 50, all of a sudden we're at about a 170 carry out and even if it doesn't get there right you can still have you know maybe what if we plant a ton of corn and now we're concerned about soybean acres oh now we get a soybean rally in the in the spring well what if the the weather is hot and dry instead of a 52 the market starts thinking that ah, this could be a 50 yield could end up being 52 by harvest but in may june and july maybe the market's pricing in the possibility could be at 50. well then you get that big run up right and that's a selling opportunity so what's even though at the end of the day, we may have plenty, right? So I think what's interesting about those charts, it shows where the futures are at harvest. It shows where the futures are, let's say in that April 15 to June 15 area, right? And it shows your cost of production. And so when I take a look at, for example, soybeans here, um, during 2015 and through 2019, you know, the cost per bushel on soybeans range and I know it depends on your yields on the farm, but on average, um, between 850 and 950. And a lot of times the price per per harvest at bushel, the price per bushel at harvest was around there, but the April through June futures average, you know, for November futures, so where November futures are trading April through June, could be a dollar higher than the cost of production, right? And also the price where it was the number of futures was at harvest so during when we look at these balance sheets and if we're like wow this is going to be a year where if things happen according to let's say the percentages percentages are you you plant what you think you're going to plant in the beginning of the year percentages the odds are you're going to plant around the yield you can out yield you can have a drought but the odds are and just playing the percentages in the beginning of the year you're going to be around that that trend line yield because um, that's the best you can you can estimate going forward. It makes sense to be a little bit. It makes sense to be heavier on the new crop sales um, because that carry just works against price in the futures as time goes on. If you're forecasting tight stocks, then you can wait longer and then have it be you know market more of your corn when it's old crop instead of new crop. So when I 
when we put out these tables and we look at these scenarios for where we are now and where we think we'll be next year, it does help with uh, with your marketing. So what I want you to ask yourself is, you know, when you do your marketing for your corn and soybeans and wheat, do you can I mean, do you take that in consideration? Are you looking? Are you thinking about where we are now? Are we tight or are we burdensome or abundant now with the old crop? And what are we most likely to be with the new crop? And if we think we're going to be burdensome, right, adequate to burdensome, are you looking for strategies and marketing solutions that are getting heavier into new crop, even if you still have a lot of old crop left? right? Which could be a problem. And you got to ask yourself, like, how much old crop do you have now compared to prior years or what you didn't sell? And this isn't a criticism at all. This is just a reality. This is just the fact of, like, it was easier to just wait, you know, make to market your corn later in the season or store it and sell as old crop when we had tight stocks, right? That it, it certainly wasn't. You know, ask yourself, you know, over the past couple of years, if that worked out for you, you're just following the same game plan. And now things are different and farmers have more grain on hand. And like, what is the, you know, what's the big difference? And the big difference is we transition from tight to adequate to now possibly burdensome because we're at adequate levels now. Next year, we're at burdensome levels. Last year, we were at tight levels, right? So, that's what's going on in the corn market. Now, once you get to burn some levels in corn, you stay there for a while, but eventually when a, a couple of things happen, the acres come down, you do get a bad producing year or the demand really starts to come up because it's maybe more well-priced against other commodities, but that takes time usually to happen. So what would you do here in this situation? I think it's a combo of using the futures and options market, um, whether that be selling calls, right, on production, you know, on future production. If we are, if we are really are, you know, if we really are having um, an issue, I actually kind of like looking at March 2025 calls, especially if you know you're going to be storing some of these things to sell out in the future for that premium. Um, I think bear spreading, like when we take a look at some of the spreads of new crop versus the 25 crop, uh, there are still, the carries are small. Those carries are likely to get bigger. Um, I think that's an interesting way to do it. And those are marginal positions that you're using in a futures and options account. Here at StarnX with our Farmer Direct program, we can also use your, you know, you can use your bushels as collateral, right? And like you do with the elevator uh, and, and a grain originator and you know, use, Use that with a cash contract with StoneX, so you don't have to put up margin. That's another way to do it. Whether it be HTAs, um, you can use accumulators over here too, um, and that's you know, and that's a, and that's a way to go you know, also. So I think a combination of those really makes a whole lot of sense. I don't see the need, and then you kind of gotta you gotta do that, right? And I know it's hard, right? Ask yourself this question: Do you have issues? selling new crop when you still have a lot of old crop right uh and if and it was understandable if you do but you know it, they're two separate issues and sometimes 
there's this thought where, well, I got to take the old crop first before I can focus on the new crop. But let me ask you this. I mean, does it make sense, you know, while we're kind of in not a great place with old crop, you know, should we let that affect an opportunity in new crop now? Because I would rather take the opportunity in new crop, take care of that. And then on the old crop here, I mean, I mean, if you know you got to sell it, you can always, I mean, it's easier to, it's easier to write option strategies against old crop that you already know you have that you got to get rid of anyways, right? Um, and you can do that. You can use for, you can look at income, uh, you know, option writing income strategies on old crop that you know you're selling soon. That way margin doesn't become so much of an issue because it's very, because it's a short term kind of play. And then you can use the carry in the market for the new crop sales and just kind of make the best of it that you can. And I think that's the way to go. You got to, it's hard to rally big here in corn. And, in a, and if, you, if you're undersold, another thing, if the basis is strong and you need cash flow, you can sell the grain and buy a call, right? Calls are cheap right now. But, uh, or if you have the grain in storage, and honestly, you can write a call on it. Maybe you can collect 15 or 20 cents before you sell it. And we're getting to prices here where the the uh, the funds are very, very short. Wouldn't be surprised if we're record short today on some of the, you know, on corn at least, and almost there, possibly there on soybeans. And use that, you know, and so we'll, and they'll probably stay short for a while until there's some kind of issue, but going to be tough to keep on pushing that price down um, now that we're at these levels and they're and they're that short on the market and farmers aren't selling as much they're only selling what they need so that's what i'd be doing i would ask yourself yes old crop is an issue are we going to let that get us in our way of if there's opportunity here a new crop and when you take a look at these balance tables balance sheets and the new crop projections are getting bigger for ending stocks than they are right now. Like, what should we be doing, right? What do we need to be taken advantage of? If we know, or not know, if the odds are we're gonna have bigger stocks next year and the price for the futures for new crop, I mean, if you're looking at December and March 25, are 50 cents over now, what should we be doing? So I think I have the answer on that. I'm pretty confident in it. I think if you come to that decision too, we should talk, you know, about it. And it's something that, um, yeah, kind of a theme here going forward is we can't let new crop on or opportunities get get in our way, let old crop get in our way of new crop opportunities here. So on the, so I'm just going to run down a couple of things here. So here's the, so that's the deal with corn on the soybeans. What's what's interesting about soybeans, I kind of don't want to get everyone, I don't want to set on any realistic expectations here, but soybeans do have a potential to rally if we have weather issues. Like if we do lose a little bit of yield on the soybeans or a million acres, like we can go back to 12 or 13 bucks. The problem is if we really are at 87 and a half and yield is actually 53, and let's say Brazil steals more US exports, um, you know, maybe ending stocks be 500. And the difference between sub 200 
and over 500 ending stocks. It's the difference between, you know, 10 pushing into nine on the very bearish side and then beans and the teens on the bullish side. So that's what's going on in the soybean market. I still like selling uh, November um, here on, on the rallies. I think you need to do it, but I can see why. I can understand why we may wait a little bit on soybeans, but when I take a look, when I wrote that soybean report and the, the monthly soybean report we do here, and I take a look at our price forecasts between now and you know a year from now for you know based on you know the average price we think things could be you know per month in a bearish, neutral, and bullish scenario, we're on track, unfortunately, for that bearish, bearish track. Right. I've got I've got average price right now. I've got average prices in a bearish scenario for soybeans for February, March, April, and May between 1120 and 1160 an average. So like, you know, give for the month, right? Like that's the, that's what that looks like. And then we, and if we don't have weather issues, you know, on a bearish scenario, average price for July, August, September, October, soybeans is between 10 and, and 1050. So that, I don't love that, right? I, it, it's uh, for the farmer. Um, that's not great on the, you know, on the, Bullish side, though, you know, I have, I mean, I had on a bullish side, I have an average price of soybeans of 1350. If we are, if we are, let's say 46 million acres and the market's thinking a 50 yield, right? And that's not a huge, so that's not a huge deal. If I'm a consumer, right, and you need to buy, you know, buy meal, and let's listen, let's be serious about this. You know, the cattle market is trying to expand. Cattle prices are real high, so that meal, you know, is going to be in demand if they crush it. There's definitely demand for vegetable oil, um, not just for traditional demand, but in the renewable biofuels can become more and more part of energy. So you got some, you definitely has some volatility into the the market. Meanwhile, if I'm a buyer on the corn side, what I'm really concerned about is acres coming down because prices have come down so much. Like on the buy side of corn. Where the real risk is, is if we get to March 31st and we're sub 90, because right now, I mean, we're not, between now and March 31st, there is a world where where front month corn could be just under four bucks, right? And, and we're, I mean, I, a lot of the acres in the Midwest where you already, you know, laid down anhydrous for, for corn, you know, in the fall, I mean, that what's done is done. but yeah, that that is not the the farther you get away from the heart of the corn belt, that is likely not the case, right? And as the market goes down, if we're sub 450 on corn, and you look at inputs, and you're not in the heart of the Midwest and the corn belt, and soybeans are higher, and spring wheat's over seven bucks, and uh, you know sorghum is in demand, you know the hay is going to be more in demand. Cot, look at the price price of cotton down the delta look at rice look at the price of rice down in the delta i'm just saying you can be there can be some surprises march 31st if you're on the buy side of this right there you know there you would think there would be some buying pressure coming in soon right for the for the corn market and if i you know were you know advising like if someone on the buy side would you that that is that's the risk on the Soybean side, it's just like, hey man, we could be at, we could be at ten, we could be at fourteen. We just don't know. You gotta, you gotta lock that in. So that's what's going on on the other side, of of the market here. 
What's also very interesting is wheat. Now, wheat, I think, is difficult. It's a, higher dif- it's a higher degree of difficulty to get a handle on the wheat market a lot of times because of the different classes and how that works. Um, also, wheat has so much more global production and major export players than corn and certainly soybean does. But when I take a look at wheat and we have a 48, you know, if we plant 48 to 47 million acres and the yields are... 49 and a half to 48, which are reasonable. You know, ending stocks are still like 39 to 35%. That's adequate to kind of a little burdensome. You know, 35% is usually my, like I always talk about 10% stock to usage in corn and soybeans. For me, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, are we getting tight or not? And for wheat, I think it kind of floats depending on what's going on in the rest of the world, but it's like a 30 to 35% kind of zone you want to see wheat in and you know if you dip below 30 we're definitely getting tight and if we're above 35 approaching 40 we're certainly adequate to definitely get into burdensome levels and that's kind of where wheat is living right now so you got and you know and it shouldn't be a surprise that when you take a look at the classes the chicago wheat Right now, it's at 24% stock to usage. And if we have lower, we're going to lose about 15% of the Chicago wheat uh, acres this year. And when I you know, plug and chug that into the production and the demand and what we've been doing, you know, I'm getting stock to usage for Chicago wheat between in the low 20s. And if that's the case, then Chicago wheat should be much stronger than Kansas City should, or at least be part, usually... Let me put it this way. Usually Kansas City trades 30 to 60 cents over Chicago because of the protein differential. It's a high and when they're both normal supply and demand. But that's not normal supply and demand in these markets. Chicago's gonna be in the low twenties for stock to usage. We planted a lot of hard red winter wheat. We ended up even though the we had issues last year, there still production was better than I thought. And stock to usage could be at like 45% for Kansas City which makes Kansas City wheat kind of the dog of the wheat complex. And then you kind of have Chicago wheat as being very strong. And we had a, a situation a couple of years ago where Chicago traded over Kansas City for a while, and we could go back to that. What is interesting is spring wheat and where these acres are going to fall. In one of the recent surveys of farmers, there was, and who knows, this could be an anomaly, but there was some evidence, suggestion, based on a survey that we could see spring wheat acres down one and a half to 2 million acres this year. Now that's a big deal because we only plant about 11 million acres of spring wheat in this country. Canada does a little bit over 20, right? So Canada is a bigger deal in terms of North America spring wheat, but the the U.S. planted acres are not chump change. So the 11 million to nine, on the U.S. balance sheets, we go from a 35% stock to usage, which is adequate, teetering on burdensome, to 25% stock to usage, which is downright tight in the world of wheat. So then you have Chicago wheat and Minneapolis wheat being tight, with Kansas City wheat actually being burdensome. It's a very interesting scenario going on with, with the wheat market here, and it all comes down to on the buy side, you know, usually if you're on the buy side of wheat, unless it's feed wheat, if it is for human consumption, you, know, you need you need your specific kind, right? You either 
need the soft red winter wheat or you need the hard red spring or you need the hard red winter it's part of the product there's really no negotiating on that for a lot of people if it's feed it's feed you know, it doesn't whatever is the cheapest per pro you know whatever the calculation comes on what's the cheapest per protein level you go with or it's available at least right um, in your area but that's not the case you know when we get away you know for because you know, wheat, I mean, the United States, 85% of domestic use is for human consumption. Um, you know, so that's interesting. And so we can see a world where the hard, where the Minneapolis wheat and the Chicago wheat are stronger. And when what when I talk to farmers, it's interesting that they don't want to sell as much hard red. They don't want to grow as much hard red spring wheat, and they don't want to grow as much soft red winter wheat. Then when I talk to the consumers, you know, they are seeing the markets come down and I get it. And, you know, maybe, you know, we see how much we drift and that's fine. But based on open interest and based on these tightness, eventually corn bottoms out, right? Eventually, Kansas City wheat kind of bottoms out. And, you know, eventually soybeans will be record short and that kind of bottoms out. And what that will eventually allow to happen as those markets kind of just trade sideways for a while when that happens, it will allow wheat to rally if it really comes to, if it's really this tight. So if I'm on the buy side, I'm much more concerned about Chicago wheat and spring wheat, right? And if I'm a farmer, maybe you don't have to be as concerned as hard red spring wheat and soft red spring wheat, but you really need to be focused on what are you doing with corn and what are we doing with, with soybeans, and particularly corn and new crop corn. So that's the way I see the market. That's the balance sheets and the projections going out to basically set August of 2025, right? That, you know, that's what these things are telling us. So if you have questions for me, um, feel free to reach out. Uh, we can put together marketing strategies. If you're on the buy side, um, we can uh, kind of talk about where our projections are. And uh, yeah, I, uh, you can contact me at craig.turner at stonex.com. My number is 312-706-7610. Clients should have my cell phone. And uh, have a great week, everyone. I'll talk to you later. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniels Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniels Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors. Such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www www.danielstrading.com. Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniel's Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.